Welcome to Gravity, a podcast on the environment and human rights issues from the local to the global. This is the second part of our series focusing on human rights in Serbia. In this episode, an interview with human rights lawyer Danilo Cucic, we focus on the human rights of the Roma community, arguably the most marginalized, discriminated and vulnerable community in Serbia. We discuss cultural relativism, autonomy, the interplay of economic, cultural and social rights, and discuss the denial of the effectuation of full rights to the Roma from a wider European standpoint. Welcome to Gravity, Danilo. Hi, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, my pleasure. So the Roma are a significant minority in Serbia and have long been persecuted there as well as in other European countries. Do the Roma in Serbia currently have full access to government services? And if not, what are the impediments? Well, I wouldn't say they're having full access to services provided by the state, especially when it comes to economic and social rights, because Roma community is actually the most vulnerable in Serbia, mostly because of the actually long-term and marginalization of, of the community. And currently, actually, the most the, the biggest problems are uh, regarding access to adequate housing, social security, and employment opportunities, actually. Also, before that, we had a really serious issue with uh, access to personal documents, which, which is the for accessing any other rights or services provided by the state. This problem is more or less, at least the majority of the problem is solved by legal amendments to existing laws and uh, some kind of actually very good uh, government response after the ongoing advocacy campaigns we had in regarding uh, the issue of access to personal documents. But mostly, actually, uh, just to put it shortly, the biggest problems are uh, regarding access to economic and social rights. And uh, just going back to the personal documents, you said that uh, you had started an advocacy campaign and that, that aided it. If you could just elaborate more on what the advocacy campaign was and what changes it affected. Yes, actually, it was uh, the problem. I think the mostly, actually, we started talking about this issue after the Kosovo conflict in 1999 because a lot of Roma from Kosovo were not registered in birth registry books. So they didn't have access to personal documents, ID cards or citizenship or passports. And without these documents, you cannot access any of the rights. So a number of uh, NGOs actually were working on these issues. And it was a really big, uh, big, big campaign uh, on necessity of actually amending the laws and, and regulations regarding access to personal documents, especially for Roma, because it's not very easy if you're illiterate and you're coming from a very poor community to access the court and, and get necessary documents. So number of NGOs are actually working on uh, at the level of the UN committees and, and other UN, and actually UN agencies and also the EU and Council of Europe and OSC as well, pretty much all the uh, international players, like if I can say so, in order to put some pressure on the government to, 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 to sort, of sort out this problem. And after a while, after one well, maybe seven, eight years of, of, of really big and, and heavy campaigning. The government actually, this issue was mostly actually linked with EU accession, pro- accession process of Serbia within the EU. And then the European Commission and, and other stakeholders actually kind of asked the government, uh, okay, what, what's happening with this issue? Why are you not sorting this out? And after a while, we got, we got a new law on a non-contentious procedure, which which actually uh, introduced a specific procedure for uh, determination of place and time of birth in cases of legally invisible persons. And then uh, there's remaining problem with access to citizenship, but it's 
kind of things so- sorted out in, in in last couple of years. So so mostly actually the, the numbers we had of Roma without personal documents are decreasing. The previous number was actually 1.5% of total of Roma. So the number would be seven to 8,000, probably maybe even more because we never had a clear numbers on this on this issue. Uh, mostly actually it was estimated by different international organizations or uh, or NGOs. So now we're talking about a couple of thousands, but still uh, it, it looks like that the government could solve all these problems if there is a lot of if there is enough pressure on that side. But clearly actually this this is not not the case always. I'm pleased to hear that even though we haven't achieved the full results yet that with pressure the government has acted and that your advocacy has resulted in change and it just seems that even though the government is tardy that if you impose pressure consistently you will get results yes well actually that, that was the case and i think it still works in, on that on that level so mostly i think the government is not proactive in, in providing all these services and rights to roma actually it mostly works as in cases where uh, there is a lot of pressure from the uh, civil society organizations or human rights community or uh, different international uh, and national stakeholders. Before you mentioned there was a problem with the Roma community accessing economic and social rights and the full effectuation thereof, and in particular access to housing. Now, it seems that there have been some recent evictions of Roma communities. May you please elaborate more on the government's policies of evictions and how they affect the Roma? Yes. Well, since 2009, we had a massive scale of forced evictions of informal Roma settlements in Belgrade, mostly. All these evictions actually occurred as a result of so-called development projects or infrastructure projects in, in the city of Belgrade. So mostly, it started actually in 2009 with a really big Roma community, informal Roma settlement co- called Gazella. And after that, uh, we had a number of uh, more than 25 uh, informal Roma settlements being evicted in five years. And the last one was close to also a really big informal Roma settlement called Belleville. And in all these cases, actually, we had a clearly identified uh, number of human rights violations from from the beginning of this process until the, the very end of it. So mostly uh, the government was not uh, working actually in accordance to uh, international covenant economic and social rights and also basic guidelines for development-based evictions and general comments that are some kind of interpretative standard for uh, Article 11 of the International Covenant. So mostly, actually, there were no consultations with the affected community. In most of the cases, actually, Roma were not even provided with any kind of accommodation. So they were just left homeless after the eviction. And uh, in these cases where they were provided with accommodation, it was clearly not in accordance with international human rights standards because it was it was segregated housing in 14.8 square meters for five-member family which is uh, less than uh, space provided for inmates in, in Serbian prisons. Also, in all, these, uh, in all these settlements that were uh, set up after the evictions, uh, there, was a, there was a very specific house. There were specific house rules that were imposed on the Roma community, and we, could never, uh, we, we actually never saw anything similar in any other case of some kind of public housing. So they had a contractual obligation, actually, to behave politely towards representatives of the city of Belgrade which means actually they had to be polite towards city authorities. In case they, they would violate this, this condition, actually they could be evicted as well. So it, it, it was a clear case of actually segregation and discrimination of Roma in housing. It's still not solved 
we still have these these settlements and now around 50 families still lives uh, 50 families actually still live in in these container settlements as we call them uh, these settlements are in secluded areas of Belgrade very far away from places where people actually lived before from places where they could earn some money where they could get healthcare and and good quality education so mostly they're actually uh, on their own after these evictions, and now we are still we are still actually struggling to fight this this policy. It's uh, there are some some signs that actually the government is going to abandon the policy, but it's still not happening. And I, I, I seriously don't believe that this will happen in any time soon. So we will probably have these informal these uh, container settlements actually, which are a perfect example of segregation in, in housing. All of these that I mentioned actually was also identified by other human rights organizations, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, European Roma Rights Center, and, and all the others that were actually present in, in, in Serbia during this, this period. There was an attempt of actually, again, amending the rules and procedures in, in these cases. So the government introduced a new law on, uh, on housing, which prescribed the procedure for, for how they call them, resettlements um, of informal settlements. But this procedure is still not in accordance with international human rights standards. So we're still having some kind of uh, a bit better legislative framework, but still not not in accordance to human rights standards. Also, there is another issue of policy level and then uh, when it comes to policy level and then uh, this everyday practices, uh, we can clearly see that that uh, housing is not, uh, that actually Rome are not, not provided with, with adequate housing. Also, this was, this was one of the findings of the Special Rapporteur on Right to Adequate Housing in her latest mission to Serbia. She gave a lot of recommendations to the state authorities in order to overcome these, these human rights issues, but still, it's, it's not happening. And if part of this discrimination and the government's failure to provide adequate housing services, part of a wider discrimination that's present in the general community? Yes, actually, I would say that uh, housing is just one of the, actually, it's a perfect example and illustration of overall discrimination trauma face in everyday life. So it, now it's mostly actually visible in housing and, and employment, but still uh, everyday, everyday discrimination is very present. And I, I, I really don't believe that uh, the government is working enough, actually, to, to fight discrimination against trauma. Then every year we would have the same or similar reports from the Ombudsperson or the Commissioner for Equality or Parliamentary uh, Human Rights Committee. Mostly they're talking about the most vulnerable group in Serbia is Roma community. They face difficulties in accessing economic and social rights. They face discrimination and, and all, uh, hate crimes. But still, we cannot see actually positive steps that are being taken actually to, to overcome this, this situation. What, in your opinion, is the primary next step that needs to be taken by the Serbian government in order to move forward with effectuating human rights of the Roma community within Serbia? Well, I believe actually we have to depart from this idea of uh, some kind of humanitarian aid for Roma because they're poor or illiterate or vulnerable. And actually we have to speak about human rights claims that uh, all Roma have in, this, in, this, in Serbia or any other country. So mostly, actually, we are talking about a national strategy on Roma inclusion or social inclusion of Roma or social inclusion of, of poor people. But we're not talking about human rights of these people. And, and that's, that's actually the main, main issue we have right now, I believe. Actually, on, on, in general terms, if you, if, if you look into the human rights situation of Roma, even Roma activists would say that we cannot deal with 
for example, right to adequate housing because there is no strategy on housing, which is simply not true because constitution and all other ratified human rights standards actually give us rights and human rights claims when it comes to access to adequate housing or any other rights. But still, we are talking about uh, social inclusion and some kind of public policies that will uh, deal with poverty mostly, actually not with, with, with rights. So it, it means actually that government can easily say that uh, there is not enough money for this because it's too expensive to provide drama with adequate housing or it's too, too expensive to provide drama with good quality education or it's too expensive to provide drama with free legal aid in cases where they need it. So we are actually talking about uh, some kind of, as it is, some kind of project goal, not not the, the obligation on the on the government side, and that that's the the, the main issue actually we have to deal with. I I believe that at the moment we this, we, we understand that actually the government officials understand that we are talking about human rights claims, not about uh, projects or national strategies or any other uh, public policies. Then they will understand that they will have to provide these rights to everybody. And also the courts should be uh, one of the links, actually, in the, in the it's, it's really another issue, I would say, and you will need another, another show just on on, on, <laughs> on legal system in Serbian judiciary and, and independence of judiciary uh, and all these problems that we have in, uh, when it comes to these, these issues. So mostly I would say we have to switch from, from, from this idea of providing Roma with some kind of uh, humanitarian assistance or some kind of uh, measures for social inclusion to this idea of actually ensuring that every person in this country has the right to any right that is, that is actually in our constitution and in all other uh, international human rights documents. That's, I would say, one step. And the next one would actually be that this would be actually followed by the response that we can get from judiciary and independent uh, human rights institutions in these human rights claims. Right. And to be able to enforce your rights, however, you need to be able to go to a court. Now, uh, you were saying that there was a problem with independence of the judiciary and access to the courts? Yes, actually, that's one of the biggest issues that the government is sort of trying to, to solve in the last, well, I would say more than 10 years now. So we had a reform of the judiciary, then reform of the reform of judiciary, then reform of the reform of the reform of judiciary. And every time we have all these reforms, actually nothing has been, nothing has changed. So mostly related actually to the separation of powers and the fact that the government is still the mostly, uh, most powerful in Serbia. So and the parliament is not that important, judiciary is not important, but the government is. So executive power is most important and actually more most powerful. It's, the courts are actually following these, these rules, and uh, in most of the cases, when we expect some kind of closure from judiciary, we just cannot get it because it's mostly actually uh, under the influence of, of, of the government. For example, there was a there was a three years ago there was idea introduced by the Ministry of Labour and Social Policy, which actually introduced compulsory labour for uh, persons that are beneficiaries of social assistance. So actually, in case uh, when you need social assistance, you would have to work for free for the government in order to get uh, this kind of assistance, which is clearly not in accordance to, to our constitution and also not in accordance to ratified uh, international human rights standards from uh, international labor organization and, and some other uh, UN agencies. This case is now at the constitutional court sitting. Now it's actually almost three years that it's sitting in the court without any kind of response. That's one, just one of the cases, actually, and it affects hundreds of, well, not maybe hundreds, but tens of thousands of people. 
And also in this case, we had a number of initiatives for constitutional review, a number of interim measures, actually requests for interim measures, but still the court is not, not responding to that one because actually the government and the Minister of Labor and Social Policy actually publicly speaking about benefits of this kind of idea because people that are actually beneficiaries of social assistance are being perceived some kind of uh, parasites. So they're mostly actually, the idea is actually that they're being represented as someone who doesn't want to work, which is simply not true. They just cannot work because there is not enough jobs. Right, there's a very high unemployment rate. Yes, and that's really just just one example of of, of this. Also, there's another one uh, related to, well, we call it poverty tax. So there is a specific tax you have to pay if you are a beneficiary of social housing. So you would have to pay another additional tax if you are in a situation where you would be provided with social housing. This is still another case of, of constitutional review sitting at the courts now for three and a half years without okay. response. And the constitutional court is just, well, I, I don't even know how to, how to say it's, it should be the highest court and actually the most, most important court, but still it's, in, in some cases actually it showed that, uh, it's been, it's clear actually that it is not, it's not some kind of, well, how to say, uh, it's, it's, well, it's not the court as you would expect the court to, to be here. Yeah. So mostly, actually, it, is, uh, it, 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 it sounds very, very harsh right now, but actually the, the, the case is that in some cases this court has just fa- failed to, to provide justice to people that are in need. That's unfortunate. Without a court that's independent of the government, there is no judicial review and there is no rule of law because uh, then the law is just mere paper if you can't enforce it in a court. And if the court is abdicating its position by not uh, providing, uh, you said that three years, that there's been a case three years in the constitutional court and nothing has <laughs> been done yet. I mean, if they're abdicating their position, it's the same as if they handed down a judgment in favor of the government because nothing is changing. Well, actually, it would be even better if they would just uh, decide on, in favor of government, because in that case, we would know what is the, what is the situation there. We would know what is the, 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 the highest judicial instance actually said in this regard. Then we could, we could take next step. But in this situation, we are kind of in this... Um, Purgatory. That's right, actually, yeah. So we're in, you know, in a position that we're expecting the, deci- the, the decision from the court, but it's still not happening. And without any actual explanation, why is it happening right now? Now, we've talked a lot about the human rights in general of the Roma and that are being denied by uh, the government and discrimination in the wider community, but I now want to focus on human rights implications within the Roma community itself. Now, I understand that childhood marriage continues to be a pernicious problem within that community. Are there any other human rights violations within the community, and how did we address the human rights violations within the Roma community, while at the same time allowing the community to have autonomy? That's a really good question, actually. And well, so far it looks that uh, this issue of child marriages is, this issue was actually neglected for a while. And I think in, in the last couple of years, at least from the side of civil society, there is a more attention and more more interest in dealing with, this, with these issues. The problem is still uh, actually the, 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 the same as actually what you, what you asked. So the, the issue of autonomy and and this kind of intervention that you need to make in, in, within the community itself. So in most of the cases, it's really hard actually to deal with, 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 these, with these problems because mostly actually it is being still perceived as traditional, kind of a traditional attitude in, 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 in some Roma communities, not in all of them, 
of course. But it's not only, it's, it's very important also to know that it's not only related to Roma community in Serbia. There are also some other minorities that have something very similar with child marriages. Uh, still, I believe actually the court and social welfare services are most important in this in this in this regard. And in some cases, we 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 had the opportunity to see very court decisions, where the court would say actually that there is no autonomy, there is no uh, this kind of explanation that this is uh, some kind of tradition in Roma community. If you marry a girl that is 14 years old, because it's not in accordance, that it is not. It's actually contrary to human dignity. So you cannot marry 14 year old girl and and say this is our tradition. And in some cases, I believe actually the court are, uh, the courts were very good in, in explaining that in, in criminal cases because it's still a criminal offense to uh, child marriage is actually a criminal offense in Serbia. But still, it's not being. I, I believe actually it's not. Uh, this issue is not being addressed sufficiently from the government side. So social welfare centers and and social care system is actually not working on this issue. I, I well, they're not working enough on this issue. I would say. Because the really big, big, I believe, big um, part of this solution would be actually that social welfare centers and uh, social workers should uh, explain to parents, to to everybody, actually, in these communities that that is not that cannot be tradition because it's it's not it cannot be all right to uh, marry 14 year old girl or even younger to actually destroy her life. And it, it also has a lot of. Uh, it also has a lot of. It's very closely linked to patriarchy that is that is still strong, generally in Serbia, but also in Roma community as well. So it's it's uh, it's kind of very. Uh, it's very hard to deal with this issue, but uh, and that's why I believe we need some kind of more, I say, intersectional approach to this problem. It's not just legal issue. It's not just issue of tradition. It's not just issue of minority rights. It's everything of. That's uh, like the bit from of, of everything there. And also the poverty and uh, poor education and and, and uh, patriarchy. So it's pretty much everything there. Yeah, it's it's a huge problem generally and particularly for human rights advocates. This issue of cultural relativism, because some would argue that human rights are just a Western cultural construct. And even if that were true, we have to go beyond that because you can just go down the rabbit hole with cultural relativism. Even in Western culture, for instance, women were not independent of their husbands. Women didn't get the right to vote until very recently in modern history. And a lot of cultural traditions are really just keeping patriarchy in masquerade. Too often the assertion of a cultural or a religious right is in practice the denial of other people's freedoms, liberties and rights. Well, that's right, actually, and, and this this is like the well, you actually explained everything much better than I would explain it. Uh, I believe this this idea of cultural relativism is very well, it's it's very well dangerous, actually, if we speak about these 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 things like child marriages or female gen- genital mutilation or any other uh, harmful traditional practices, because it's it's very easy to say, okay, this is our tradition, but still, uh, it cannot be in your tradition to maintain these power structures because. That means that some other people are not uh, having, well, they're not here, they're not on the same, they're not equal as, as you are. Because just because you are men, for example, or because you are more powerful, more uh, wealthy, or whatever. So that, that, that's, that's, that's very important, but still, um, I believe we need not just in Serbia, but generally, it's, it's very important to stress out that it cannot be tradition and it's not, it, it cannot be, like, there is no tradition in anything like marrying a 13 year old girl. There is, it cannot be a tradition. No, it's a denial of her rights. If 
people want to respect her as a Roma girl and respect her Roma traditions, why does that mean that in practice she gets to be subjugated to traditions that impose power structures upon her, threaten her mental health, her physical health, that deny her freedom of choice, so that a Serbian girl or a Western girl has in practice more rights than a Roma girl? It's preposterous. And all under the guise of protecting her so-called cultural rights. Yes, and, and also if you look into all these traditions and, and everything that is happening, for example, now in the Roma community, then you can just understand that it's misinterpretation of tradition. It's not really tradition. It, cannot, it, never, it was never tradition to marry a 13-year-old girl. It was an incident, and it was some kind of incidental, actually, occurrence that you could see in different, in different communities. But it's not tradition. It is just some kind of, it's a really good excuse for violating human rights. But it's not tradition. Child marriages is not happening in all Roma communities. It's happening in, in communities that are very traditionally organized, where you have a very strong male leaders in the community or in the settlement, in the house, in every house. Actually, there is a very strong male uh, person. as He is some kind of paterfamilias in this case. And, and they are kind of masters of life there. And also, it's, it's, it's also related to poor education, to uh, illiteracy, to poverty, and all other different aspects that are important in, 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 uh, in relation to that are actually some kind of, I would say, also determinants of this idea of having so-called tradition of, of child marriages. Yeah. So it's not really related, actually, to the ethnicity. There's two main misinterpretations of culture. There's the misinterpretation of power structures as culture and the misinterpretation of poverty as culture and now I want to move to a topic that's one of my pet peeves, sometimes charmingly called slum tourism. I've heard that some Serbian entrepreneurs wanted to make some extra cash from tourists, and they started holding Roma cultural tours without any input from the Roma community. And what this really comes down to is a sort of culture vulturing. Tourists as culture vultures intent on this cultural authenticity, which is really a euphemism for voyeuristic poverty toys in an attempt to mollify middle-class malaise. And there's no exchange between cultures. There's no input from the community. It's really just a voyeuristic and exploitative exercise. And it tends to dehumanize people as if they're mere aspects of an environment that you can go and see. Well, I think that is, well, I was very, actually, I was very angry when I, when I, when I saw, when I saw this, they, they call it a gypsy tour. And, uh, well, that was the, 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 the whole idea was, was that actually people would go and look how Roma live. And then they, they could also like pay additionally like 15 euros or something like that. If they want to speak to Roma, as there are like animals in the zoo or something like that. And the whole idea was, yeah, that we we're trying to, there is no any any kind of exchange between cultures, as you said. It's it's just that you, as a tourist from I don't know Western Europe or from Russia, China, any other country, actually, you would go to see uh, Roma community, and then you would you would have to pay I don't know 100 euros for uh, for this kind of a tour. People would get maybe five or ten or I don't know how much Roma community, and that's it. And someone else is going to earn money on that. And that's that's not just it's not happening. It's not very uncommon when it comes to Roma, uh, Roma culture. And you have a lot of companies also, not a lot of, but, but a number of companies that are playing on this kind of uh, romanticizing Roma, Roma way of life and Roma folklore on Roma, I don't know, patterns in uh, clothes and things like that. It's also happening in, uh, I believe, with, with, with any other uh, uh, well, um, community that is kind of perceived as having this kind of rom romantic way of life as 
as nomads, for example, Roma are perceived as nomads here. At the end, I was, I, unfortunately, actually, uh, what happened is that the tour was cancelled. That, that is a good part, but really what was in, unfortunate in this case is actually that we didn't get any kind of response from the, from the government, from national human rights institutions or Commission for Equality or the court at the end. I must say, actually, uh, we were in the middle of preparing the court case actually for the court against this company when they announced that they canceled the tour and actually the company doesn't exist anymore in, in Belgrade. So we didn't get, as I mentioned before, this kind of judicial uh, closure on, on this case because I believe it's very important to note that it is not, uh, it, it's not, you, you cannot, it's not legal to do these kind of things as well. Not, not just that it is not, uh, that it has this very, uh, well, actually, bad interpretation of, of some other some some other people's lives, and then you you just represent them as some kind of nomads that are uh, sitting there and and waiting to wave to to happy tourists from from other countries. But it's also very important to to make sure that the court would say, okay, this is not this is not legal. You cannot do this because of anti-discrimination law, because of any other law. There there is a number of of, of uh, actually rules that were not. Uh, obeyed in this case but still it ended up as uh, the company actually realized that's not the best idea and then they they canceled the tour and i believe now actually they're not operating anymore in Belgrade. oh i'm glad because it's such a disrespect to human dignity <laughs> and also you know what's what's really interesting is that there was there was one there was one article in 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 some newspapers here in serbia and some of roma leaders actually said that that that's not a problem at all it's a really good idea because people will get money, people from the community, which also shows us actually what is the, like the political leadership of Roma is very well detached from the community itself. And, and, and that's also one of the, I would say this case actually could serve as a reminder of, of Roma political leaders and their uh, stand on, on Roma rights. Because in most of the cases when we would speak with, with Roma communities that are facing human rights violation, forced eviction, or any other uh, cross human rights violation, they would they would never be able to tell us who is who is their political leader or who is their uh, some kind of representative uh, um, in politics because there are none of them. Actually, there is no you cannot find uh, genuine human rights uh, political leaders in Serbia anymore. That's also another issue because it's related to policy, uh, politics and, and very complicated, actually, political system we have over here. But uh, still, uh, minority political parties are not existent at all, when it, at least when it comes to Roma. And then people are uh, mostly actually turning either to human rights organizations or organizations, or in these cases, actually, they don't, uh, they, they wouldn't even protest against this first, uh, this human rights violations because they didn't know where to go, what to do in this case. Right, that's one of the key problems because if you don't know that you have rights, if you're not taught that you have any rights, how are you going to go and enforce these rights? Yes, that, that's a really big, big issue here as well. Because, well, you live in a, in a in, in country actually where the government would tell you, well, we don't have right, we don't have enough money for you right now because you know there is a budget deficit right now. We have to deal with huge budget gaps we have right now, so we cannot provide you with uh, decent housing, for example. But we will destroy your settlement because we need to build something else in this place. And then they, they they would tell you, okay, this is you don't have rights there because 
well, that's very expensive for us, and you know, we are a very poor country. And then when you want to when when you want to claim your rights, then someone else will tell you, I don't know, your political leaders or um, generally like community leaders. In in most cases, actually, I would say, well, we cannot do anything because the government said this or that. We cannot go to the court because pretty much obvious what's happening at the court. There is no free legal aid. There is very complicated to get to the court if you're coming from informal Roma settlements, for example. And then you're on your own, and that's it. You will be evicted, or you will be discriminated against again and again and again, and that, that's that's how you will live. Oh. <laughs> that's a tragedy. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't look very good, and actually, it's not very it's, it's not good at all. Everyone that's working in, on Roma rights is very objective, actually, when it comes to government's response to, to different issues Roma are facing here. But still, as I told you, like, we had a really big progress when it comes to access to personal documents. But still, this problem is not solved. So none of the problems we're talking about are, are solved. The Roma are not having the same access to rights as non-Roma people have here. But we are trying to actually see something positive in all these steps because otherwise I believe we would not be able to work anymore because you just don't have motivation. You're constantly fighting against something and you're constantly losing this, this, this fight, you know, and that, that, that's not leading anywhere. I agree with you. And that's actually a tool that the government uses, uh, attrition. And they want to wear you down so that you have apathy. And once you lose hope, what's the, you know, what's the point? You do, you do give up. And I think that's one of the reasons that all power structures um, employ attrition. Yeah, of course. And uh, well, I, I believe actually that the, the most important task we have over here, and I believe in Europe generally, when it comes to Roma rights, is actually to uh, to uh, to motivate and uh, to motivate the community itself to start fighting, and then we can we can we can help them out. But then actually, we we would we really need to see that the community is being motivated and mobilized to fight uh, for their rights. Because in most of the cases, we would have this kind of structure that the community would go to human rights organization or uh, some other organization, and then they would they would ask for some kind of assistance, and then actually the organization would, would start this fight for, for their rights. But the community itself would not be motivated to, to, to continue this fight. And that's where actually we lose... Uh, well, I think actually you need some kind of anger, of, of course, also like to, to fight for, for, for your rights. And then we lose this, this, this link actually between the community and the government because there is this uh, uh, kind of like uh, another player in, in, in this structure, which is human rights organization or someone else. And then you, when you finish this one, for, for example, you finish one case and then there is another one and there is another community starting their own fight. But this actually fights are not, uh, they're not, they're not united in one, uh, one big uh, movement, you know. So it's mostly actually local fight for this or local fight for that or like uh, local small community, like very small community in one part of the town and another one in another part of the town. But then general, general picture is not really, really good because these, these uh, different communities and different organizations are not not community communicating about this this same fight they have against the government the roma community is facing the same problems maybe on a different scale but the same problems across all of europe and you're absolutely right they need activism 
uh, within their own communities, they need to get together. And if they got together, they'd be a pretty powerful force. There's strength in numbers. Well, that, that's right, actually. And I think that that, would be, that is actually the most important, uh, uh, most important uh, task we have uh, in the next well, couple of years or decades, I don't know. How to, how to actually collect all these individual struggles into one really big one that will start fighting the oppression and discrimination Rome are facing in, in Europe. Because there's strength in numbers, strength in focus. That's the primary aim, it seems. Yes, it looks like that. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Danilo, and for your insight into the problems that the Roma community faces within Serbia. Thank you very much, and it was really a pleasure to speak to you on these issues. I hope you have found this podcast insightful and will join us next time as we explore more issues affecting our environment and human rights at home and around the world. For more materials on this issue, please go to our website, thegravity.fm.